I want to just give you some perspective on the election in the hopes that it will help you. The first thing I'd like to share with you is this book here. I've had it in my library for about 14 years now. It's called Tempting Faith. It was written by a Chinese-American who has now passed away, David Kuo. I'm going to read just a little bit from this in the back of the book. From Tempting Faith, David Kuo wrote, I was called into a meeting of black ministers. Remember, he's Chinese-American. Of black pastors from around the country, these ministers, most of them high-ranking clergy from the Churches of God in Christ, wanted to talk about what the White House initiative had done and what it continued to do. I mingled with about 20 pastors before being tapped on the shoulder. A colleague whispered, the president wants to see you. I walked into the Oval Office to find the president prowling around behind the desk, looking for something. Kuo, tell me about this meeting. I started in telling him that the group wanted to know about the faith-based initiative and that we recommended he talk about the administrative reforms we had implemented and the tax credits we were still fighting for. And he interrupted. He said, forget about all that. Money. All these guys care about is money. They want money. How much money have we given them? For two years, he says, I had bitten my tongue and towed the line. I wasn't angry now, but I was no longer willing to lie. Sir, we've given them virtually nothing. He came to Washington wanting to use his Christian faith to end abortion, strengthen marriage, and help the poor. He reached the heights of political power. This is obviously talking about the author, David Kuo ultimately serving in the White House. It was a dream come true, the chance to fuse his politics and his faith and an opportunity for Christians not just to gain a seat at the proverbial table, but to plan the entire meal. Kuo spent nearly three years as second in command of the president's Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives, yet his experience was deeply troubling. It took the White House and a severe health crisis to show him how his Christian values and those of millions of Americans were being corrupted by politics. Now this young man, he died pretty young from a brain tumor, wrote this book, Tempting Faith. And you wonder to yourself, well, what administration was he talking about? Must have been Barack Obama. Must have been Clinton. Let's talk about George Bush. Yeah. And so we make a huge mistake and thinking that the job on this earth is going to get done by anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are responsible and we have obligations and we have a right that God has been given to us. When Benjamin Franklin was walking from the Constitutional Convention 1787, and these are contained in the notes of Dr. McHenry, who was also at the Constitutional Convention, after they had hammered out the details of the Constitution, McHenry wrote that somebody shouted, usually it's pictured as a woman or projected as a woman, who shouted over to Franklin, he said, Doctor, what have you given us, a republic or a monarchy? And Franklin said, a republic, if you can keep it. He also wrote about the Constitution, these words, I agree to this Constitution with all its faults, if they are such, because I think a general government necessary for us, and there is no form of government but what may be a blessing to the people if well administered. And I believe further that this is likely to be well administered for a course of years and can only end in despotism, as other forms have done before it, when the people shall become so corrupted 
as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. Founding Father Benjamin Franklin. We can almost say it had a prophetic outlook towards a government of the people, by the people, and for the people is only as good as the people. In one of the most famous speeches, political speeches ever given in this country, most are taught, even in law school, at least they were, that George Washington's farewell speech after he was finally going to step down as the president of the United States, that is the most imposing and famous political speech ever given in our history. And part of that, Washington spoke these words. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, so he's talking about politics, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. These firmest props of the duties of men and citizens the mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity, which means happiness. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Keeping in mind religion is used in the King James Bible in the book of James. It referred to Christianity. In this speech, I'm not reading it, Washington tells Americans that we all, but with shades of difference, have the same religion. So he's speaking about Christianity. And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Historian Will Durant said, there is no significant example in history before our time of a society successfully maintaining moral life without the aid of religion. And we can search, you can read through, if you had the ambition of Edward Gibbon's work, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, and study the history of nations, and see that all nations, such as Rome and Greece and others, fell from within, from moral decay, from moral corruption. Washington was saying that, now don't think that we could have morality without religion, which once again, in those days, religion was pretty much a synonym for Christianity. With respect to who rules over what nation, no matter where people live. Well, it's in our Bibles. Proverbs 8:15, God says, by me kings reign and princes decree justice. And then in verse 16, Proverbs chapter 8, by me princes rules and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Then in Daniel 2:21, we have this principle. Referring to God as is, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. We will be fooled. David Kuo was. But when he finally stepped away, he was deeply troubled, as I read to you. In this book here, he talks about how, I'll say conservatives, actually they were Republicans, behind closed doors laughed at people like us and how they use us to get votes. Then when they're in the office, 
They do whatever they please. There's only one answer. Andre Crouch wrote about it. Of course, every Christian composer wrote about it. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. And we must, to paraphrase what I just read to you, we must not suppose that America is great on its own. That our so-called American exceptionality is something that we're just born with and we defend it because we vote. I got to be blunt with you today. For those of you that were here at the Bible study, I asked you to turn around at all the empty seats. I said, you want to know why we're losing in America, the political process and all that? And look at the empty seats. I said, there's your reason right there. At a time when professing Christians and others should be on their face praying and should be examining themselves for repentance. When parents should be, well, rearing their children in the fear of the Lord, but also reprimanding them to say, this is the wrong way. It's always been the wrong way in every society that's rejected God, starting with Israel and Judah and all the history of Christian nations. When they rejected the word of God, when they rejected the commandments of God, when they rejected the principles of the scripture and et cetera and so on. And when they thought there was something inherent about their ethnicity, which most nations have, we don't because we're the proverbial melting pot of many ethnic groups. Then we come up with American exceptionality, which I actually agree with if you look it up for definition. But when we think that we are exceptional, that there's something different about us because we're waving a flag or born under a flag or born on American soil, and all we got to do is just snap our fingers and it happens, we are deceived. God hath, I gave you this verse a few moments ago, God hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. It doesn't say it's going to, which it will manifest itself in the coming of Christ. But his kingdom always has been ruling in nations from the beginning of time. It always has, it always will. And God is ruling now. And we need to come to this observation and to this knowledge. And I want to tell you that To have peace today is more than just someone saying to you, hey, God's in control, amen. It's more than that. You see, this is the expected response, just like we had when we were in school. We knew what the professor, teacher, was asking us and the expected response. Though we really didn't understand what we were saying. We just gave the teacher what they told us they wanted to hear so that we could pass the course. But it's more than just saying God is in control. It's coming to the knowledge that he actually is. Only those people have actual peace in this puzzle. Well, it seems like a puzzle to you and to me, but it's not a puzzle to God. And how do you get to that knowledge? You get to that knowledge by experience. And how do you have experience? You have experience by truly walking with God and being tested. Being tested by fire. The refiner's fire. Burning through your flesh, through the soul, right deep into the spirit. And if you stay faithful to God, then you know. You don't just say what's expected of you to say in church or because you've read the Bible or because you're being taught the Bible. You know it. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Do I care who rules over me? You better believe I do. I'm leaving the party that I've been affiliated with my adult life. I'm leaving it. Going to become independent tired of all the nonsense. I've been independent most of my life anyway, so what's the difference? I don't want to be associated with a name with some purported belief system that others who've been there actually say, it's not true. We need God. We need God. We need Christ. Not just Bible verses, which is how we learn of Christ and learn of God, but we need that Bible to be in our experience. We need to know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And further, he said this. You make sure if you don't take anything home with you today, you take this home with you. And we know that all things work together for good. Remember that he died under Nero. Remember where this New Testament was written. It was written in the Roman Empire. Caesars did not have a reputation for being light when the Roman law was broken. Jesus died as a condemned criminal. Imagine following him when he was first here, and you're following a 33-year-old man who is a condemned criminal and singing about his cross, which everybody, even Cicero and many others, said the cross has got to be put away from the eyes and the minds of the Roman people. So horrible was crucifixion. And you're following this man. But they knew who he was. See, that's the difference. They knew he wasn't just a historical person or someone they ate and slept with. I have known whom I have believed. That's what gave the Apostle Paul peace and others who truly know. The people that do know their God shall be strong. Yes, Bible verses. I'm a Bible guy. I'm a Biblicist. But it's more than just the verses. I've got to know these verses, not just academically and intellectually. I've got to know him. I have known whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. And when you're persuaded because you know, nothing disturbs your peace. You don't like everything you see and hear and experience. I don't. But still the peace remains and the stability remains. I want to begin a series of messages with you today that deals once again with eschatology. As I've taught you in the Bible studies here on Wednesday night, all of the New Testament is basically eschatology. When we're not talking about verses already fulfilled in Messianic prophecy, then we're talking about the verses yet to be fulfilled from the rest of the Bible on out, from Matthew on out. We're talking about verses that are yet to be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled. There will be an antichrist system. There will be a one world government and one world religion. And at the end of that, Christ will return. I'll talk to you about our firm conviction that the rapture of the church, Jesus coming for his church, will precede the great tribulation that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. Why is this that man or that woman that seeks God now? And if there was no other reason, there's plenty of good reasons to seek after God. Let me say it to you this way. Your country needs you. So if you can't seek God for any other good reason, and there's plenty of other good reasons, like your individual salvation, whether you go to heaven or you go to hell. How do I know there's a hell? Because Jesus said so. How do I know there's a hell? Because that cross makes no sense whatsoever. If Jesus is not blocking the entrance into hell, it doesn't make any sense. When he say he died for our sins and were washed in the blood, that is so profound. When we read the scriptures, no philosophy on earth can match it. No philosophy on earth can come close to the fact that we are saved, saved, saved. But if you can't think of that, then think of your country and think of your children or think of your parents or whoever you want to think of. That we cannot have politics without morality. We cannot have morality without religion. And we cannot have religion without Jesus Christ, without the preaching of the word. Let God raise up. It's been my personal prayer for years. I say young men, it may not be young men, but God raise up men to stand in pulpits and preach the truth, regardless of what the crowd thinks, regardless of whether people come or they go, they're going to make up their own minds. Anyway, don't ever fall into the trap of seeking popularity. Human beings are whimsical. One day you're the king, you're the hero, the next minute they're saying, stone him, he led us into this mess. But God, as I mentioned, his throne is prepared in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. God is in charge. 
but it's not enough to hear it or recite it. You must actually know it, and that comes from experience. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The title of these messages is, What's Next? The media doesn't know. If they did, they would write their papers in advance. But they can't, because they don't know. They don't even know when they tell the story exactly what is the truth. And we do know that many of them, when they write their articles, are not telling the truth. But this is what we've come to, to try to maintain order without God, without Christ. Now, in this series, the first thing that I want to deal with is the situation that we currently have in Christendom that's been going on for two millennia. It's apostasy. It's turning away from Christ, turning away from the church, not from a denomination, but turning away from the church of Jesus Christ. So we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, these words. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And once we have the falling away, then this follows. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, which if you look at the scripture, and what's known as the analogy of faith, comparing scripture with scripture, this is what Judas was called. The son of perdition, reference here is to the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, well, he says, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And we'll stop at verse 5. Apostasy, falling away. Now, we've been in this, as I just mentioned. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. It began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We've been in 2,000 years in the last days. But it's getting closer and closer. Things are narrowing down. Things are starting to come to finality. How much more time, I don't know. But it's coming to a conclusion. And that we have here. Let me give you the formal definition of apostasy. Apostasy in Christianity is the rejection of Christianity by someone who formerly was a Christian or wishes to administratively be removed from a formal registry of church members. Thankfully, I haven't seen much of that. <laughs> People who leave my ministry just simply disappear. They don't even inform me. So be it. The term apostasy comes from the Greek word apostasia, meaning defection, departure, revolt. Or rebellion. It has been described as a willful falling away from or rebellion against Christianity. Apostasy is the rejection of Christ by one who has been a Christian. Apostasy is a theological category describing those who have voluntarily and consciously abandoned their faith in the God of the covenant who manifests himself most completely in Jesus Christ. Apostasy is the antonym of conversion. It is deconversion. According to B.J. Oropes, the warning passages in the New Testament describe three dangers which could lead a Christian to apostatize. Number one, temptations. Christians were tempted, they're still tempted, to engage in various vices in the past that were a part of their lives before they became Christians. Idolatry, sexual immorality, covetousness, and so on. Number two is deceptions. Christians encountered various heresies and false teachings spread by false teachers and prophets that threatened to seduce them away from their pure devotion to Christ. And thirdly, persecutions. 
Christians were persecuted by the governing powers of the day for their allegiance to Christ. Many Christians were threatened with certain death if they would not deny Christ. Three things listed here, temptation, deception, and persecution. And we see this in our time. It's been in history past, as I mentioned to you, and we see it now. False teachers, false prophets, false doctrines. We see churches that are not so much growing as much as they're swollen. The difference between muscular maturity and having a swollen knee. Size is not always an indication of actual growth, just like anabolic steroids. It's not necessarily, well, I don't think it's ever, ever an indication, ever, of a man's true strength. So you got to get on the needle and look big and look strong. But actual strength comes from just doing hard work. In other words, this is different between being in a big church, lots of people, and the church of Jesus Christ. The one that he said, I will build, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, and I say this very sincerely, no one can withstand the preaching of the gospel today. Nobody can overcome it. Walk away from it. Yeah, they can do that. That's a choice. That's voluntary. They can be deceived and they can be persecuted and say, no, I don't know Christ, as we see Peter did, but then he recovered himself, obviously. But you can't overcome it because heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words shall never pass away. Never. This is the most powerful book on the face of the earth. There's none like it. It cannot be withstood. Again, it can be rejected, but it cannot be overcome. Now, the question that this sermon, I gave this message a title, Concerning apostasy is, will you be next? And as I've told you over the years, if immediately you say no, you're probably going to be the next one. You'll find yourself in some other church, and if we ever meet again or we talk, and there's some type of uh, courtesy and a polite conversation, you'll tell me how good you're doing in the other church. But the truth of it is, you ran away from the preaching of the gospel. You ran away from Jesus Christ to find somebody who will cater to you, who will enable you. And I'll tell you what, God forbid the day ever comes that you slip into hell for eternity. You will curse the name of that preacher that didn't tell you the truth. Whose blood will be on his own hands as it was given to Ezekiel who was told that if you see a righteous man beginning to depart, to apostatize, he says, and you don't warn him, he will perish, but I'll hold you accountable. Every time I've read those verses from Ezekiel, I know that's a heavy statement. I think to myself, and I've told you, I wouldn't want to be Jeremiah, but when I come to think of it, I wouldn't want to be any of these prophets. They never got invited to prayer meetings. Did you know that? They don't invite prophets to prayer meetings. You don't tell Jeremiah, we're having a prayer meeting, but listen, you're coming. We're asking you to come, but please don't mention anything about invasion. Please don't mention anything about righteousness. Keep the unity, brother. Keep the unity. Christ has all the unity he needs and wants. Father, he said, I pray they may be one, and Jesus' prayers are always answered. Where's the unity then? We may say, to use the word that's most operative, it's mystical. We don't really see it, but we know a Christian when we meet one. We know who's got Jesus, and intuitively, if we're not able, or perhaps it's not proper to register a judgment, we know a Christian when we meet one because God bears witness with our spirit. That's how we know we're Christians. The word... The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And we are reluctant to have people amongst us who don't bear the fruit that we're told is the evidence of a real Christian, someone who truly belongs to Jesus. And we don't want to judge it. And I don't say that you should. I have to. That's my responsibility. 
And I don't have to say it openly, but I can start to pray, which I do. Because I know many, many people who sat before me that I don't believe they ever made the kingdom, even though I did their funeral. There was no evidence. There was no fruit. We've got to come to grips with these things. And at the end of the day, it's yourself you have to be concerned about. As I've told you so many times, I cannot control you. I don't control anybody that's in my household any longer. My kids are all grown. I don't control anybody but myself. My own thoughts, my own speech, my own behavior. I don't control my wife, nobody. I don't control anybody. And neither do you. But if you and you and you and you, and we all have Christ, we come together, and the mystical body, so to speak, is seen with the eyes and heard with the ears, then we've got something going. Then our songs mean something. Many churches place heavy emphasis on who's playing the instruments and not what's inside the musician or the singer. They need to know Christ. Before we have God accepting our worship, it must come from someone who's truly been born a second time, born again, born of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and not after the flesh. Will you be next? Well, look at these are the scriptures. They were prophesied. This is not like it. maybe it'll happen. It's happening because God says it would happen. And this is not the only verse either. I'll give you a few more. But basically what apostasy is, is a divorce. You're getting a divorce from Christ. They did a survey a few years back in Great Britain. They asked people who had been divorced, was it worth it? Would you do it again? And in one survey between 32% and 50% of the population that was surveyed in Great Britain said they wished they worked harder at their marriage. So let's go up to the upper end of 50%. Half of the divorced people in Great Britain at the time of this survey regretted getting a divorce and not working harder at their marriage, not making it work. And some of you, I know you already know the pain of divorce. It brings with it tremendous complications, and particularly when you have children. And then there's remarriage and so on. And I know that's your case. Thank God there's mercy. But mercy and grace is not a license to keep doing what's wrong in the sight of God. We must protect our marriages, but more so, we must protect our marriage to Christ. They regretted, almost half of the people, somewhere between a third and half of the people surveyed some years ago, regretted divorcing the very person they swore they now hated, or that they never was designed or ordained, whatever, to be married to them in the first place. I had a woman in my office years ago when we were up on the hill. She was having problems in her second marriage. Well, they were both having issues, and they were in the church. They were good people. They were friends of mine. She came in and she said in tears, she said, you know, Pastor Ray, and these were not the exact words, but she said, I really, truly wish I never got divorced from my first husband. And then she said something else. I didn't do the wedding. Somebody else did. Another pastor did. And she said, the other thing is that I know if you had been here in this church, you wouldn't have done that wedding, would you? I said, no, I wouldn't have. No. You see, there's certain instances where, yeah, Bible permits a separation of divorce. And most of them know. And her case was that no. There was no grounds for her, her husband, whoever. And then she said this, and she was very angry. Basically gritting her teeth, she said, divorce to me has been like a hot poker has been stuck in both my eyes. I've never heard it described like that. But I know this much, and I've said this to my wife on occasion. Sometimes in marriage, physical, or your marriage to Christ, the only thing that actually will keep you is that you took a vow. And I've told you this before. Let me remind you that that's why we take vows in churches where ministers are over the ceremony. Will you, in sickness and in health? I knew a man who was a tremendous leader in his church and a good close friend of mine, a great musician, composer, talented in many, many ways. 
street minister, out doing things. And when his wife got sick, when she got mentally sick, he took up with another woman because according to him, he couldn't take it anymore. And the funny thing is, you could almost say the ironic thing is, the woman he took up with came down with a mental illness. I mean, God's discipline can be very severe. How do I know that? Because, well, it says so in the scriptures. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Don't ever look for me to change what's written here. I'm not going to. Hmm. I'm too close to the end. I may even be closer than I think. Who knows? But getting a divorce from Jesus is a serious thing. It means there's no more sacrifice for your sin. It means you can claim the cross or sing about the cross or do Christmas carols. But it doesn't mean anything anymore. You've got a divorce from Christ. And if you go far enough, the scriptures say that there's lines of demarcation. There is no coming back at a certain point. There's no coming back. And you don't want to be found there. Look at the evidence of the world in which we live. Listen to what's being taught. Listen to what you're hearing. And do what is right in the sight of God. Don't worry about men and women and people and family and friends and preachers and all of this stuff. Just do what is right in the sight of God. That's all that's required of you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines. And I'll put in this here, it's an interpolation. Doctrines that are coming from devils. Nothing that comes out of Satan is going to be complementary to Jesus Christ. Nothing that comes out of the mouth of Satan starting in the third chapter of Genesis leads you to God. But false teachers and false prophets promise you things that are not contained in the Bible. Most times, if they're not unbiblical, they're anti-biblical. And many, many people, and they have for all oh, since time immemorial, followed wrong teachers because they heard what they wanted to hear. Who wants to hear that if you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to pick up a cross, your own cross, and not only deny everybody around you, but deny yourself and remain faithful to him, though your wife or husband or children don't like it or nobody likes it, or the very preacher that you used to put trust in, that he don't like it. And I've had that experience as well. So be it. You know, I sat down here at the river just the other day. I like to go there. I was going to do the broadcast I do on a daily basis for anxiety and depression. And I said to myself, you know what? I just need a rest. So I left the camera go, just sat there on the edge of the river. And now that the trees are bare, I can see the houses. And I was thinking about who lives in what house. Not that I know. I don't. And I was thinking about whether in 100 years, 10 years, 5 years, could be tonight, where they'll be in eternity. Where will they be? And I thought about many, many things. I thought about how things turned out in my life. As I told you, it didn't go the way I planned. It didn't go the way I thought. It didn't go the way I was told by preachers it would go. Not even close. Not even close. Thankfully, it went the way the Bible says. But it didn't go the way preachers told me how my life would go if I just had faith. But I find myself in here and say, wow. As I sat there... I didn't recognize it at the moment, but I had a God moment. Well, it's all God, but you see the rivers, the locks are now open, and the river's down, and it looks more like an arroyo than it does a river. You see out in New Mexico, Texas. And all of a sudden here, right down the middle, there's a bald eagle. Not a real, real big one, just a smaller one. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm blessed today. You don't get to see them much this far down. Up further north you can. Eagle Pond, for instance. And then a few minutes later... Right behind the first was the second. I was thinking about my life, and I was thinking about my life in ministry, and I was thinking about the call in my life, and I was thinking about a lot of things that I wish never happened. Then I remembered, eagles fly alone. 
Eagles will, and they're the only bird that can do it. We certainly can't do it. When they're getting older and their eyesight is getting a bit misty, they will go and look directly at the sun. And why? Because it burns off the mist. And they fly alone. They build their nests higher than other birds. And they have all these qualities, which is not my topic today. But at that moment, well, actually, it wasn't at that moment. It was a day or so later that I began to think about that. And then the Lord spoke to me. He says, this is you. But not just me. It's you. You Look, at, you don't find eagles with the flock. Well, in Christians, we come together, right? But eagles fly alone. And that may help you and may explain to you why so-and-so doesn't understand you. My spouse doesn't understand me. And on and on. We've got to come to the conclusion that your spouse that says they know Christ does not. Because eagles, even though they fly alone, Christians do flock together. We're told to. But when we're out there, we're raised, it's just us and God. It's us and the Son, not S-U-N. S-O-N. Us and the Son. And you've got to be willing, if you want to be a Christian, to go it alone when you have to. And it won't be every day for you, but for true leaders, like MacArthur pointed this out, that true leaders are like eagles. They go alone. They have to be out in front. This won't be true of all of you all of the time, but there will be times when God will put you to the test to see if you're one of his. Well, he knows. But it's best that you know. Well, you're going to have to stand alone and be alone and make decisions for your life or your family or whoever. And you won't be popular. And all of that is a test to see if we really want Jesus. See how we want him when he's walking on water. And we want him when he's performing miracles. And we want him in his early part of his ministry when he was immensely popular. But notice, and many of you have read through the Bible. Notice that as the three short years that Jesus walked and did his ministry, the closer he gets to the cross, the herd thins out. Till finally he gets to Calvary, there's only four people there with him left. His disciples aren't even, well, one. The apostles are hiding in some room. Peter's already denied them. In effect, they've all kind of denied him. We'll call that a temporary apostasy. But it really was more of a testing. There's his mother, Mary, and the other Mary, and John. Well, what happened? You realize Jesus' ministry could have kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing if he only kept saying the things people wanted him to say? They wanted to make him a king. Well, first of all, too bad, because he's already a king. And not only a king, but the king of kings. But that's coming yet, to be seen, I mean. He's still the one that has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom. is still ruling over all as it always has. But they came to the mountain after seeing his miracles and seeing the things that he could do. They wanted to make him a king, and Jesus hid himself. Because it's not his time, but his time is coming. When every knee shall bow and every eye shall behold the coming of Jesus Christ. Hollywood has made it easy, and authors and novelists have made it easy for us now to believe in these things because we see it all the time. Invasions from space and UFOs and all this stuff. Not even difficult to imagine how we can be. I've talked to educated people who will ask me, what did I think about life on other planets? Well, not in our solar system. And they say to me what they think about the possibility of being there. And I simply say, I don't know. I don't know what the Bible says and what we've observed in our own galaxy. Could there be a life? Could God be doing other works in other places? I suppose. I don't know. I'm just simply saying that educated minds and refined minds are now entertaining the idea. Some of the great physicists, they're on record saying it. They could see. What do we have every day? We have a receiver looking for to receive messages that may be coming from space, outer space. We don't have to imagine it anymore that Christ is coming. But when he comes, first he comes for his own. That's known as the rapture. 
Number two, he comes to judge the living and the dead, and that part won't be so good because people had an opportunity to accept him and do the right thing, and they didn't do it. We, preachers, are instructed to preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead, the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Instant means be ready. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's talking about godliness, by the way. They will not endure sound doctrine. A country like ours that can kill 60 million children and justify it as a constitutional right definitely does not know God. Amen. And the only hope for this country is found in the salt of the earth, as I gave it to you both Wednesday and the Sunday before. But if the sodium chloride is mixed with water, and we water this Bible down so that it has no effect on anybody, starting with the preacher, then America has no hope. No matter what they promise, I would suggest you read the words of David Kuo, who found himself gravely disappointed and died not that long after that, thinking that, yeah, these guys told me they're going to put me in this position, which they did. But when he was shaken... Hey, what's going on with this meeting? 50 pastors, happened to be black pastors, African-American pastors, wanting to know what the president was doing with the faith-based initiative. Kuo says, nothing. We've done nothing. We haven't given any money to it. We haven't even paid attention to it. Now, what party are we supposed to believe? I suggest we believe in Christ. Amen. I suggest we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Because we are the salt of the earth, if indeed we're flying alone in Reference to walking with Christ. The time will come, verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers. This is what I was referring to before. Oh, he's in another church. She's in another church. And you found yourself a preacher that will tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear, the truth. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. A fable is a fairy tale. It's a myth. Some years ago in Denver, there was a fire in a very big warehouse, happened to be an ice house, where we vacationed all my life. From the time I was a little child with my parents, and we still go, there was in Seaside Heights a place that was literally called the Ice House. That's what they sold. Not only ice, but, you know, mostly ice. So you go there if you're having a barbecue or whatever, and you get a big block of ice, you chop it up, and you have ice, you know, the Ice House. Well, this was an ice house, it's a true story, in Denver, that caught fire. By the time the firefighters were there and so many hours into trying to put out the fire, they couldn't put out the fire. But here's the twist. Inside the warehouse, there were these very efficient and potent fire extinguishers. But the reason that the fire extinguishers couldn't put out the fire is because they were frozen. And one of the dangers of just a little ice in a church is that it starts to spread, sort of like a cancer. And instead of the fire of the Holy Spirit coming forth from the pulpit and into the people, and then from the people to the streets and so on, it's the ice that's preventing a revival. It's the ice that's preventing a great awakening. It's those who say, I will not fly alone. Let me build my nest a little lower to the ground and hang out with all the other birds. Listen, there's a difference between being an eagle and a pigeon. Pigeons, when they get domesticated, you know, they'll get close enough to you. And if you had this mind, I don't. I'm just saying if people had this mind, you just, you just shoot them. It's easy. Not so easy to hit an eagle. Moving targets are difficult to hit to begin with. But pigeons, they're domesticated. 
They're so familiar with people, they no longer fear people, and in most cases, I think, they don't have anything to fear, but in some cases, they do. And when the Christians get so familiar with the world, then God says, you don't have my love in you, and now you are becoming dangerously close to being the next one to apostatize. Lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, is a prophecy we're bearing the brunt of right now. Lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. How many times I tell you, today is an extraordinary day, beautiful for temperature and everything else. And people say, oh, it's just so nice. I'll just miss the service today. Well, the, the next week is going to be below zero. Let's say, oh, it's too cold. I can't make it out. Oh, it's raining too hard. Oh, it's snowing too much. Always an excuse, as I just finished preaching to you. No more excuses. Time has run out. Running out. Amen. It's running out. You've got to make up your mind who you are, what you are, where you're going to be. If Jesus is Lord, then make him Lord and read and pray. Because Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things that I say to do? I have a little hat someone bought me. It says, Jesus is my boss. That was actually proposed to me once at a dinner table about, you know, what about your boss? I said, God's my boss. In my case, it's true. Jesus is my boss. He left me some instructions called the Bible. And he said, preach the word, which I found is actually more difficult than it reads. <laughs> Not the preaching part, but the reception part. We need Christ to truly be the Lord of our lives. Just understand that you won't be the flavor of the month on most days of the week. And that's just the way it goes. But for me, I'd rather be an eagle. I can still see the image in my mind. First the one, and a few minutes later, then the other. I'd rather be the eagle than these little birds foraging over near my feet, which if they had only known what danger they could have been in for someone with a different mind than my own. But the eagles know better. They fly alone. It may surprise you to learn another true story. One of the convicts on Devil's Island, if you don't know much about that French prison, look it up. It wasn't a happy place. Much like Australia, when England used to drop its convicts off in Australia. In that day, it wasn't a good place or easy place to survive, even though people did. Devil's Island. It still rings like the Bastille and other places as a place of unspeakable, I wouldn't say as much torment, though that went on too, and torture, though that went on as well, of a very heavy sentence. So here's a man who for 26 years was on Devil's Island, and one way or the other, somehow, he gets a release. He goes back to France. Listen to what he said. He said when he arrived at France, after being gone for 26 years, after being on Devil's Island, so you suppose when you go back to the restaurants and all the activities that you dream about every night, every day that you're on Devil's Island, this is what happened to this man. He was struck most with, quote, the extraordinary spiritual collapse of the world and the decline in conscience and intelligence. And then he made this comment of the immeasurable stupidity of present-day humanity, which regards itself as so superior. And he asked and was granted permission to go back to prison, back to Devil's Island. We hear stories, if you've ever read them, of people who are adrift at sea. First, they can't wait to get rescued and need to get rescued and want to get rescued. But being alone in solitude for so long, they actually prefer it. I think it's somewhat because, like the mountain men of old or even of today, you're in that solitude for so long, and then you realize you're not missing a whole lot. This is a fallen world, it's a fallen planet. We here are in the midst of a war, cultural war, spiritual war. God forbid it becomes an actual civil war. God help us. God help us. We are the salt of the earth. We must pray, and we must pray like never before. 
But we must be the real deal. We must not be a Judas who for 30 pieces of silver sold out Jesus. And Jesus said right before he did that, he said it would have been better had he not been born. That's not a reference to heaven. It would have been better had he never been born than the fate that awaited him for selling Jesus out. Well, what about Jesus 2,000 years ago? No, Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He's still alive. He's here in, the, in our midst. Behold, he is coming with clouds. He's coming. He's listening to me now. He sees me, but he sees me in the dark as well. He knows my heart. And we got to live in such a way that whether we're seen or unseen, we're living a life that's pleasing to him. We have to live a life that is so well scrutinized by ourselves that even our thoughts are always being run through the mill. Saying, discard that thought. Discard that thought. Don't say that word. And so on. William Cowper, he wrote these words. When any turn from Zion's way, alas, what numbers do? Methinks I hear my Savior say, wilt thou forsake me too? And that's a good question to ask yourself. And again, it cautions you. If right now you're saying to yourself, well, that will never be me, you're probably going to be the next one. Because that's what Peter said. Jesus said to him, your spirit is willing, but you don't understand the power of the flesh. What has kept me all these years, and I pray, I literally pray, that God keeps me to the end, is the fact that I know I could defect. I have no doubt about it. At any moment, any number of things, some of them outlined in my own mind, I know can take me away from my mission, my commission, my relationship with Christ. I even know what they are. I don't think I know everything, but I know I could fall. Lord, keep me. Lord, save me. And it's not until you've had a vision of eternity, both the good and the bad, that you will pray that way. Oh, God, keep me. And it's not until you've seen eternity, both the good and the bad, that you would do anything not to see family and friends and your nation and the people of the earth go into eternity without Christ. You see, this is, this is what America needs. But this is what the whole world needs. Jesus, not religion as the way we use the word religion now, as opposed to Washington's times and 18th and 19th centuries, or even the early 20th century. We need Christ. Christ. And we need to have a mark on us, put there by God, that says, do not touch my anointed. Well, they could kill the body, but Jesus said, don't worry about that. I'm paraphrasing. They're doing you a favor if they kill your body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's all over. Your cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. It's not a death wish. It's just Jesus saying, don't be afraid. For God hath not given unto us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you know what? Here's the kicker, so to speak, the ironical side. We hold the answer, starting with the pulpit. It's called the Bible. America needs Jesus, not more politicizing. America is divided. Nothing new. Nothing new. But when we put our trust in the flesh, in Jeremiah 17, it says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. We're not looking to Democrats. We're not looking to Republicans. We're not looking to independents. We're not looking to anybody. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as citizens, we bring that to the table. A non-negotiable stand with Jesus Christ that is not negotiated in Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, in the United States Senate, or in courts of law. We don't, we can't. We stay with Christ all the way, and that's the only chance that every individual has. Listen, C.S. Lewis said this, if a man is going to live to be 70 years, which is biblical, 70 to 80 years, the biblical time frame, and that's all that there is, and you put him in a state, a nation, 
well, then it would be right to say that the state is more important than the individual. But if that individual knows there's eternity and has Christ and so on, then the individual becomes very important. And if everyone here is filled with the Holy Spirit in the real sense, the biblical sense, and you have a holy boldness that you don't possess ordinarily on your own. I can't talk like this on my own every day of the week, wherever I go. I pray as you pray for me. Let the anointing touch our pastor today. I pray, oh God, every time I come out of that door to speak these words, I say, God, I can't do this. Anoint me, touch me, fill me, help me. And thank God so far he has. And so far he has. Will you be next? John 666, great memory aid. Lest a man eat my body, drink my blood, he cannot be my disciple. And his followers are saying, this is a hard saying. Nobody seemed to know what he was talking about, though he explains later. The words I speak, they're spiritual, they're metaphors, they're analogies. But in John 666, after this, that was enough. At that moment, that was enough for many of these people following him, who were his learners and pupils, his disciples. And it says in John 666, it says, and many, I'll paraphrase it again, and many did not walk with Jesus from that point on. They had had enough. You know, I've had this actually said to me. On one occasion, it comes right vividly to my mind. A board member, not here. A board member coming to me and telling me he couldn't take it anymore. I said, take what? He's referring to this. Referring to the stands I had to take to be a leader. I can't be a leader if I'm following people. He told me I can't take it anymore. And he was one of the chief people that undid me over there. So be it. Because you know what? In the end... He did me a favor. It was God that kicked me to the curb and said, Barnett, get over here. Eagles, fly alone. Hirelings are hanging out with the crowd, leading from behind. Who leads from behind in anything? I'm with you. What do you want to do? I don't know. I don't really know what to do. Leaders get out in front and go, this way. This way. We're going this way. God uses many different agencies to get us to where he wants us to be, if that's what you want. As for me, that's what I want. When they bury me, though it seems ostentatious, and I'm not saying put this on my tombstone, all I want on there is my name, date of birth and death, and he walked with God. No one will write my biography and say I did it perfectly, especially the people closest to me. But God will judge my heart, that I served him with a perfect heart. And that's what you need to do. You need to serve God with a perfect heart. You're going to fall, you're going to fail, and you're going to slip, and you're going to be tempted, and so on and so forth. But the heart must be perfect to please God. Use all of your intellect, all of that mind of yours, all of your gifts, all of your talents, everything. In this hour, before Christ comes for the church, before the great tribulation comes, before Antichrist comes, before the second coming of Christ, before the great white throne judgment, serve him with all that you have now. Your country needs you. And more than that, God wants you. Will you be next? Matthew 24, 10 and 12, I'm going to finish. Speaking about all of the signs preceding the coming of Christ and his coming to judge the living and the dead. Matthew 24, 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Verse 12, Matthew 24, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Let me give it to you in plain English. And because there'll be such lawlessness. Now I said to you jokingly, now that Donald Trump lost and I voted for him, I want everybody to know that. You already know by the nasty comments I get on Facebook. And I never answer you. And I never will. I want to. So where do I loot now? Walmart's Target? Where do I go to burn down the city because I didn't get my candidate? Do I put a tattoo on my back? Not my president? Do I talk about assassinating this new president? He's still my president. No, I don't mean Trump. I mean Biden, if everything holds up. And Biden is my president. 
You want me to write something on social media as we had one woman who used to sit over here. The very first night that Donald Trump was elected, talked about his assassination, and it was all over the social media. What this is called is evil. It's called evil. And we are in a situation now where we're seeing prophecy open up just like this right before us, lawlessness, and it's all over the world. The question is, will your love for Christ start growing cold because everybody around you is growing cold? Will you put out the fire? God forbid you're not putting this one out. No. Just like eagles, you know what they do when the storm comes? They use it as thrust. See, the wicked don't understand this. The evil don't understand this. They say, ah, we got you now. What you just did, you put thrust under our wings. And we will rise above the storm. Whereas when a man comes to the warrior and says, there's coming a storm, and the warrior responds, I am the storm. When someone is truly filled with the Holy Spirit, they become a storm. They become something that's a threat to this world, but only temporarily because Christ is coming. Now, which will you be? The Christian that's on fire or the Judas? Because in your own home, lawlessness is abounding. Don't do it. Follow Christ. Be loyal. Stay with Christ to the very end. You won't regret it. I don't even regret it now and the war is still raging. I don't regret it. I don't regret one day of giving my life to Christ, not my time or a little bit of me. Give to God your all. Give to God your all. I didn't want to mention this, and I will close. I don't know who did it. I don't need to, and I really don't want to. There's a box on my desk right now. A little message on there to Pastor Ray. Use it as you see fit. I was going to do it as I usually do when things are left on my desk, open it after the service, and I kept feeling, ah, let me open it now. A little box of coins, gold and silver coins. And I said to myself, and I don't want you to identify yourself, please. Get your reward in heaven. I said to myself, see, right here we have people who sold out for Christ. You don't think that that's not an encouragement to me? The secret prayers that I pray? Because we're here in the mountains, as I tell you this all the time. Not just to take a hike. And we're not here to hold the ground. God corrected me on this in my private time. He said, holding the ground, take the ground. Take the ground. No box of coins, gold and silver coins. Remember the widow's might. Remember to give your all. Don't turn around. Don't turn back. And don't put your trust in man. As Americans, we are the government. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray today we come before you. We pray, God, well, I pray right here, and listening over the radio and sitting right here for conversion, true conversion, not just whatever flavor Christians paint themselves, in, or I should say they like this ideology. God, I'm praying for conversion to your word, to adhere to your word, and for men and women to truly be formidable as well as fearless men and women who are made of iron that won't move off of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Others have paid a very dear price that we could be here as Christians with Christianity. Help us, God. We are praying as many, many millions of other people are. And again, around the world, praying for a third great awakening, praying for revival, praying for your church to awaken, praying that people would not backslide, not leave, not be a Judas. Oh God, help us too. Help us. Pour out your spirit. We are a branch on the tree, a small branch on the vine. Help us. Fill people today who know you with your Holy Spirit. Save those who don't know you. God, cause our words and our life and our thoughts, everything to be one. Oh, God, help us. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In this and in this alone shall you actually receive our hands when we lift them up. Oh, God. Oh, God, what a 
What a blessing to know you. And that you made us greater than the eagles. God, keep us faithful to the end. For as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Help us, God, to stand firm and stand true like Noah and really like Lot, at least to some degree, who made it out. And help us to take as many with us as we can. The fate and destiny of nations is right now being decided. Help us to be on the right side. Hallelujah. You know, even when you're alone, you're not alone. I never regretted receiving Christ. Never regretted studying this book. I have verses come to me when I'm sleeping. And I say, oh God, I invested time in you 44 years ago. I don't regret it. Thank you, God. Thank you. Father, as we leave today, we go out. It's a beautiful day. Going to be beautiful days next couple days. And as we go out, we see your goodness in nature, your sun that shines and trees and so on. Help us to love you, the creator, more than the creation. To love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. And then to love one another. Let it not be hypocritical love, feigned love. Rather, God, help it to be true love, because upon these two commandments is all the law, all the prophets, and all their prophecies. Hang on, two basic fundamental commandments. Love God and love each other. And we say today, Lord, regardless of what's going on all over the world, what else was going to fill our ears this afternoon, tomorrow, the day after? Regardless, even so, Maranatha, even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus. We bless you. We praise you. And we thank you, Father, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.